In the days when you're a magician and you said to yourself, and I'm a magician, a musician, oh my God, can I get that? Can I get a copy of that? You think we could get a copy of what we did? Did anyone film it? Did anybody have a, did anybody bring the camcorder? Did you bring your high eight? Did you bring your mini DVD camera cutter? You don't even need a tape for that. So welcome to the 9-11 to COVID-19 broadcast. I'll be your pilot, your co-pilot, your passenger, your victim, your post-traumatic stress disorder survivor, your witness, your mainstream media, your conspiracy theorist media, and your official fact-dated historian. So this week was weekend, the weekend, the weekend, the weekend, the weekend. This weekend was the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and like everyone's got a fucking tattoo on their arm or their leg don't forget surrounded by two iconic images of the two towers either maybe they're on fire maybe they're surrounded by hearts it says 9-11 never forget you know it kind of becomes a little bit of a punch drunk insult when I hear that never forget how the fuck can you forget it how could you fucking forget 9-11 but as we've entered into March 2020 to this consciousness this age that we're in right now where everything's been obliterated that we ever knew in terms of morals and ethics and perception and our reality. What is reality? What's real news? What's fake news? I guess we do have to keep reminding ourselves of simple, simple things that previous generations took for granted because their perception of the world were based on more fact-dated sources and uh, solidified quantum media outlets and inlets and vinaigrettes and omelets. And do you want to come over to the Vagina Diner? So this was the summer that went through hell. I had 10 months. 10 months of pure fucking hell since November 2020. I haven't done a podcast in a while. I've attempted to, but I haven't done it. Maybe it's because of post-traumatic stress disorder in my own life. Or it's just, I don't give a fuck. Or it's just another spoon in a fucking Ikea discount cabinet full of spoons. Uh, so um this year's been hell it's been a horrible horrible fucking year one of the worst years of my life it superseded uh a lot of previous years of my life which uh in all the hustle bustle and hunkle buck uh it's always been a rough ride for me to be an actor a director lecture on the history of horror film no matter what i do no matter how visionary i am no matter how hell of a cop you really are buddy uh, it seems like just don't get the fucking break. And so the last 10 months, because of COVID-19 destroying our infrastructure, destroying the film business, destroying the film industry, destroying the uh, ability to have a podium to lecture on the history of horror movies all the way up to Wes Craven and Sean S. Cunningham doing Last House on the Left, uh, it's been a rough roller skate. And uh, this last 10 months, I mean, have been fighting for unemployment because of a 
glitch in the matrix and uh did nothing wrong like millions of other americans but got locked out of my unemployment in november was hustling had had a really near fatal accident that fucked me up all last year into this year mentally and physically and uh it didn't really matter there's nobody on the other side of the line there's nobody on the other side of the phone saying oh i'm so sorry no no it was all glitch Uh, so the horror uh, what I learned from the last 10 months just learning about the infrastructure of unemployment and that it is disgustingly gone there is no infrastructure and you follow the breadcrumbs you follow the fucking trail you do exactly as the teacher says and you're still getting an F plus doesn't matter how late you've been up doing your homework Unemployment ain't giving you what you fucking need. No matter what you do, what page you hit, click the button, hit the link, call this part. Ah, sorry, I'm in Nothing works. So it took me uh, a very, very valiant uh, um, pro bono lawyer and uh, several phone calls to the congressman and Republicans, representatives, and hunka bunka dunka almost every single week of my life since November. And this, uh, the only time it took off was in February 20th, 2021 till March of 2021, and that's when I was nearly dying from COVID-19, and it ain't no goddamn flu, and it ain't no cold, and you can't get it just as a sinus infection, people, so the whole COVID-19 aspect of existence this year for me uh, transcended any near-death struggles I'd ever had into staring fucking God and Satan and the great abyss in the eye, there was many a night where I was racked with every single symptom of covid along with the psychological jazz band in your head that uh, upsets and affects your, your hearing, your auditory senses. It affects your psychological mental sensations so that on top of the near death of every single part of your body every couple minutes and a rap-a-ta-ta, rap-a-ta-ta jazz riff fucking play on a death waltz, um, you're thinking that there's a, uh, someone's doing your laundry tomorrow. You think that someone's coming over. You're thinking that the fucking sound you're hearing is horses. You think... Uh, that this is, uh, is that rain? Is that a deer? It is a fucking trip. And uh, like my sister, the truth warrior, said, compared it to uh, an experience on hallucinogenics that tried to kill you. And for me, having COVID-19 was basically being on edibles that wanted to kill you every couple of minutes. It was pure agony. And as someone who um, watched my mother die from multiple cancers, racking her body with agony every second of her life at a hospice unit. After me and my brother played a little of the fucking fish, a little bit of the fish. Play a little bit. Do you like fish, man? Have you ever played fish to get your dying mother out of the house on a stretcher, man? That was really groovy. Fucking cunts. Fucking hate that band. Anyway, but yeah, some reason playing this one fish. God doesn't listen to a word I said. That had uh, the impetus needed to get my mom to leave and let go of her house, which could no longer be maintained by the amount of fecal matter and death surrounding her premises, and it got her into hospice. And so it was around, right around this time of year in 2002 that me and my brother Philip 
started to embark on our own 9-11. It was a year after 9-11, and suddenly me and my brother were into this metaphysical, personal, emotional, mental, physical version of 9-11 for our own family. And uh, my mother was like the two towers. She was immense. She was overpowering. You could always see her from around the neighborhood of our our neighborhood. If our neighborhood was a metaphor for New York City and the suburbs, you could always see our house. And you could see my mom, good or bad, hanging clothes on the line or screaming, Elliot, Philip, come home! Since we were seven years old, playing with the Hayaks, playing with Botmans, the Normans, and all these rapscallions on their rad BMX bikes. So... My mother was like the two towers, good and bad, uh, a lot more bad than good in a lot of ways, and then some days more good than bad, depends on how hard you look into your father's eyes and hear the lies. Uh, so, watched her die in the most violent, horrible way imaginable, because uh, several cancers were racking her colon, her kidneys, her liver, and uh, that experience is uh, what... I felt was synthesized into what I was feeling having COVID. I, I, I never felt closer to experiencing cancer and, uh, and death and what an AIDS victim would be feeling in the worst stages. And, uh, you know, I came out of that, God damn it, thank God, uh, better than uh, most have as what they call a long hauler, which is someone who had it for more than a week or two weeks and might have needed hospital stay. I actually did need hospital stay and could not get to the hospital because I had no support from anyone. I had great friends near and far sending me food from around the tri-state northeast kingdom area, which I'm very grateful for, but the fight was my own, and uh, it, uh, it flipped the switch to say, what is death? What is life? I don't know how I survived it. I don't know what really was the fucking major element or friggin', you know, driving factor. Was it all the kombucha that Gina Jones-Rosé was sending me? Was it all the fucking chicken that Davy Derrick sent me? Was it all the friggin', you know, the other kombucha or the, the tomato sauce that Sam and Kroll sent me from Amazing Planet Farm? Or was it the Hayax gift card that got me a burrito? I don't know. I can't tell you what was that really said you're not going to die. But I know my oxygen levels were lower than accepted. I read the oxygen thing way wrong. And uh, I found out a week later that I should have been in the hospital, should have been on oxygen support. And so that's the death trip, and I could go on and on and on. But out of that came out of that, having to go back to work, unable to breathe, unable to walk, uh, in need of an inhaler. And uh, that's what it did to a physically active person who works out twice a day along with going to the woods and going off-roading every single day of his life for nearly 20 years. So... That's what it did to me and, uh, you know, the professionals, the scientists, those people that have these things called degrees. They actually have degrees, people. They actually go to school. They become nurses. They become doctors. They study four to eight years additional from that 12th grade final cutoff date of uh, high school when you pop your cherry on the way to the prom and see a summer blockbuster and you think your life is wide open and then it all crashes and burns. But these people called doctors and nurses, they're fucking crazy things that they actually learn from books, they get to talk like Matthew McConaughey now. They all actually read the books, okay? They go and read the books. That's what they do. They do the work. So they study the zoonotic-based viruses and they study the diseases and they study the cancers and they study the AIDS. And they actually go into the hospitals. They go into the hospital and actually learn how to treat someone who's dying from a gunshot wound or someone who's got a zoonotic-based virus like COVID or SARS or AIDS or Ebola. They actually do these things. It's far out. 
is far out with the doctors and the nurses, and they actually have certifications. They're not on CNN. They're not on Fox News. They're not on QAnon. They're not on Tucker Carlson. They're not on Sean Hannity. They're actually doctors and nurses. They actually went to school and have to study cadavers, okay? They actually have to open cadavers' brains and hold them in their hand like my friend Pam McConnell does. That's crazy thing. That's actually, those are the people that actually have the scientific facts in the processes to be studying what exactly COVID-19 could do to you. It could do to you as a long hauler. That's really crazy. That's what they could do. They do it. They actually know COVID-19 really could affect you. Not your friends that drink too much kombucha. Not your friends that freaking study Fox News and prescribe to different right-wing or left-wing conspiracy theorists. It's not your friends who know holistic medicine and think that this is really good, even though science might say it's a placebo on this side. It's not your friends that uh, believe in gods and fairies and listen to the Grateful Dead. It's not your friends that are 9-to-5 workers and heard from a friend who heard from a friend down the street who knew a neighbor that died of COVID-19. They're not the ones that are the outlet for information or should be talking their fucking bullshit, flapping the gums, talking to someone who's a long haul, okay, or someone who survived COVID-19, like I did, or the millions of us who have survived COVID-19, they're not the fucking people that are flapping the gun saying this is how your antibodies are going to work or how you're going to feel, okay? This is not how it's going to be. So that's what fucking has put me off for the last seven, eight months, is that fucking people I love, I know, whatever, I get it, your heart's in the right place, but talking down to me what I went through because they read or they saw, they know somebody, or talking down to me and saying, this is what you're going to go through for the next couple of months. Or cutting off your fucking post-traumatic death trip experience. You're trying to describe the experience which is the closest you've come to death. And you get cut off even halfway trying to explain it because someone goes, oh, I had a friend who had a grandmother who died from that. Oh, I had someone who was a mother who was a father. You know, the man one actually got it, but he only had it for 24 hours. Anyway, so did you see the latest episode of Game of Thrones Part 5? It's so fucking insulting and so... Before I go on, I just need to say this. I need to say it for all the long hauls out there, the people who've died from COVID, the people who are victims of COVID still right now, uh, you know, you don't have the right to talk to any of us. You don't have the right to talk to any of us unless you are a doctor or a nurse who knows COVID-19 and is working with COVID-19 patients. That's what I have to say to everyone, that you should not be talking down to someone. You should be treating the subject matter when it comes up in a phone call or a conversation from your friend who just survived it or had it. As if you're talking to someone who survived or had cancer, AIDS, leukemia, any of these diseases and viruses that could kill you. That's the kind of reverence you need to have. And people need to learn that. And we're only a year into this game. We're only a year and a half now into the COVID-19 consciousness, this new arena of interaction. I still sound like Matt McConnell because that's what I sound like, okay? All right, all right, all right. I'm talking about COVID-19 scramble. Don't be talking, don't be sending me that slam bang. Thank you, ma'am. Danny's idea of what you think COVID-19 could be doing to me or not, because you're not a doctor, you're not a nurse. So that's what I have to say, and I don't want to go on about it, but people that you love or you don't love or whatever, it doesn't matter. And uh, I lost a friend and uh, had some battles with friendships this year because people could not understand the psychological effects of this thing, on what it did to me. And the psychological effects and mental confusion and the post-traumatic stress disorder that created insomnia uh, for months, for months. And people don't really want to understand that and they don't feel like they need because they watch something on the news or they read something that's in a pamphlet or they talk to a friend who knows a friend and went to the urgent care on Route 46. <sighs> so, enough of that. 
So 9-11, this week, the weekend was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I worked this grueling Ironman endurance event in Atlantic City. So it was really interesting to sit on the banks of Atlantic City and wake up on 9-11 and, and, and wake up with this snapshot immediately of a, a father and a son watching the sunrise over the two towers of Atlantic City, which are basically uh, two ends of the Tropicana and Caesars. So it was a very iconic uh ripoff of an iconic image that uh, once existed for years and years and years uh, known as the World Trade Center and um, you know so going into 9-11 2001 people who weren't there don't remember don't want to remember um, just to, to tell these stories today and I'm going to be telling some research and some history um, there was uh, it was a summer where like the the summer before COVID, like the months before COVID, that, you know, we were aware of bombings being done by the USS Cole. We had heard of a guy named Bin Laden out there, and Bill Clinton had said, we're not with Bin Laden, we know what's out there, we're going to get him, we're going to get him. Uh, so we were aware that there was some evil in the world, and uh, we, were know that we knew that there were terrorism. But internally, and uh, there's... Um, Plenty of books you can read, and I mean books, and I don't mean to go study fucking websites and YouTubes. I think you should study, to understand 9-11 and understand uh, COVID today, I think we need to go back to what was happening up until that point of 9-11-2001, which is our consciousness was dictated and um, influenced and educated, big word there, educated, by resources that were valid. They were called books. They're called magazines. They're called maybe fanzines, maybe underground, left-wing, right-wing, whatever. Even the worst of those underground magazines that were available from different outlets and mail orders, whether it's left-wing from Anarchist Press or, you know, there was still facts there and there's still a form and there was a social, political, cultural exchange of ideas in a diplomatic way going into 9-11. Uh, and so that, that summer is interesting. What's going on that summer is June 1st, 2001, the orders changed requiring the Secretary of Defense to approve lethal air support to stop airplane hijacking after it's been in effect since 1997. So that's an interesting thing when you know that old Donald Rumsfeld, the son of a bitch, was the Secretary of Defense. So suddenly that summer, June 1st, 19, June 1st 2001, Rumsfeld now has the power to say, you know what, if we want to, we could fucking shoot somebody down. We could shoot someone down if they are affecting us. And you have this conglomerate that's in place in 2001 because it's the Bush regime. And it's George W. Bush and Condoleezza Rice and it's Dick Cheney and it's Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld and it's Colin Powell. And uh, things are starting to happen that summer. And uh, if you haven't heard of it and you haven't read the book Ghost Wars by Steve Cole, and you want to know specifically what was happening in our government and our Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, and in Afghanistan. Ghost Wars by Steve Cole is one of the greatest books I've ever read, and it's one of the greatest books on the pre-9-11 world we were living in, in terms of our government, administration, or Central Intelligence collecting, uh, and Afghanistan. So this summer of 2001, Kofor Black is one of the heads of the CIA, and he's trying to get in to kill bin Laden. They already know by this point that bin Laden is a motherfucker. And uh, there's some eerie ties that go back all the way to the 70s that connect the bin Laden dynasty and the Bush uh, dynasty through something called Arbusto Oil out of Texas. And it's basically Big Daddy uh, George Bush, a former CIA member uh, who became president, 
and was vice president under Reagan, you know, it, this was his oil company. And they were in uh, league with the Bin Laden family dynasty, which is basically a very rich version of the Kardashians. Picture the Kardashians being fucking uglier and uh, wealthier. And that's the Bin Ladens. And there's just countless Bin Ladens. There. And some of them actually are pretty hot. But, uh, you know, Bin Laden, little, little Sam Bin Laden. Little Sammy Bin Laden, he's got the Lexus. He took out some girls last night. You know, he's just a fucking idiot like George W. Bush's. They're just two idiot, golden, fortunate sons. And uh, so anyway, you know, it's, it's 20 years later in the summer 2001 when now Bin Laden's the bad guy and George W. Bush is in office. And maybe they might have met at a Texas baseball playoff uh, charity event in the 70s through their fathers. We don't know, but there's a lot of evidence that says that. But... Covert Black wants to kill Bin Laden. He wants to go in and do a raid using special forces. And uh, for some reason, after months, months of planning to know that Bin Laden's going to be sitting there popping a squat, reading fucking Jihad Monthly, uh, Centerfold Edition. Man, it's a good one. They got the girls with the freaking... Anyway, but, uh, you know, he's ready to go, Covert Black. He's ready to kill Bin Laden. For some reason, we don't know why, but Bush puts his, puts his foot down about it. And he's definitely influenced by Cheney and, and uh, Donald Rumsfeld. And then things start to go really weird. You know, September 6, 2001, 56,000 shares of Stratasec security are bought. This is now five days before. And what is Stratasec? Stratasec just happens to be the security contractor for the World Trade Center buildings, along with Dole's airports and United Airlines. So when the 9-11 thing happens, these people profit up to $50,000 on this. Because this guy, James Abrahams, who's the strategic director, you know, he just happened to know a guy named Mansur Liaz who happened to know Bin Laden. So there's some weird fucking shit happening here, man. And, 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 you know, the days leading up to 9-11 internally. And this is all stuff that you see in Loose Change, uh, you know, the YouTube thing. But I'm telling you, these are things coming from valid historical books you can find at Barnes & Noble that actually have been substantiated in their facts. But... There's weird shit happening, uh, you know, going into 9-11. And uh, as things have been reported in Vanity Fair and uh, the New Yorker and Time magazine in, in those first five, six years after 9-11, you know, um, there were these very strange NORAD training operations planned for the morning of 9-11. And uh, what it was exactly, now this is a fact. I mean, again, everything I'm telling you here isn't a fact. And I've checked my sources and I'll mention at the end, but these are facts. That Cheney, up to this point, had planned the various commercial airline attacks to happen under the names Vigilant Warrior, Vigilant Guardian, and Tripod 2 to be conducted by NORAD, in national whatever, defense, whatever, on the morning of Tuesday, September 9th, 2001. And it's very odd that Cheney took over NORAD, which was usually just a military position. It was usually NORAD, you know, they invented calling Santa Claus in the 1950s because a kid had called NORAD by accident looking for Santa, and NORAD said, hey, this is a good idea. So they were the ones that set up Watch Santa Claus. Watch Santa Claus cover the globe, and they started it through radio and TV in the 50s, and now today you go on the NORAD website, technically, to watch where Santa Claus is coming. And so it's very odd that in, in the events leading up to 9-11, Cheney took over NORAD and uh, suddenly decides to plan these commercial airline exercises. He plans that these exercises on the morning of Tuesday, 9-11, that these will be having these exercises mocking the idea, pretending to be commercial airlines disguised as terrorist captive planes. 
So, I mean, you gotta think about that, man. You know, if you see V for Vendetta, there's no such thing as coincidences, Evie. There's no such thing as coincidences. I've heard it before, and I think it's just too eerie, the shit that happens on the morning of Tuesday, 9-11. I mean, it's just too strange that out of nowhere, Cheney takes over months before, and he has a freaking NORAD exercise, which is commercial airline attacks happening. And if you read one of the Vanity Fair pieces on this that goes into all the details of this, I mean, it talks about how the confusion of that morning when things were going to shit, and they already knew that someone had been taking over coming out of Boston, and uh, I think even before the first plane hit, you know, the confusion was that NORAD already had these exercises going on. And so that was part of the huge confusion that people thought some of this was actually a part of the Vigilant Warrior, Vigilant Guardian, Tripod 2, NORAD 9-11 mock operations. So, I mean, it's a little strange now. So it's almost like you go to a freaking renaissance fair and dragons start killing people. For real. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. The coincidence is too eerie, especially when you have Dick Cheney, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Prophets live more than anyone else. I keep getting them. Matthew McConaughey keeps going back to me. I'm sorry. So, everything goes to shit, and some reason, someone sent FEMA services the night before 9-11, you know, an alert that something was going to happen. So, someone from FEMA who's in charge of levees bursting in New Orleans and all these things that have happened in the last 20 years since 9-11, since the idea in the catastrophe of 9-11 has now become almost passe that we're seeing it across the board because of climate change. Uh, you know, FEMA actually sent some alert and it was ignored. But whatever that alert was, guess what? Old Osama bin Laden, I mean the bin Laden family, that FEMA alert the night before 9-11 let the bin Laden family fly away right before the towers fall. So this is some fucked up shit, man. And uh, again, I'll give you the sources at the end. These are from books. These are from accredited journalists. These are from researchers that uh, you know spent years after 9-11 to find out this information. And it's terrifying. And it, 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 it all will become, you know, um, synthesized into what creates COVID-19, really. This kind of internal corruption. And there's no such thing as coincidence. So, you know, everything happens. 9-11 happens. Thousands of people die. We all know that moment. What does that moment happen to people like me? I'm in my 20s. I'm in my early 20s. I'm 24 years old. And when people talk about the summer of love, you know, whether that's 68, 69, or the summer of innocence from 1969 was we land on the moon, Woodstock happens, and then we have a moment, a cataclysmic moment that changes everything. For the next couple of decades. And that is the assassination. The massacre of Sharon Tate. Along with her friends on Cielo Drive. I believe it's August 9th, 1969. Charles Manson hits town. With his killers. And uh, you know. Chaos is a great book written on that. But that moment changes everything. The Manson massacre destroys our idea. Of an innocent America. That the hippies can be innocent. And even though we know today. A lot of this was dictated and engineered by. Uh, Hoover and the CIA and uh, Charles Manson's connections to both their intelligence agencies, uh, th- this moment changes our idea of what America is. It, it kills the innocence that Woodstock had been celebrating. And from there, everything changed in the 70s, you know, go down from there. And so 9-11, you know, that summer of 2001, for me, it was uh, two vaginas connected by a bunch of bubble gum on a swing set. So, I mean, that summer for me was this summer of innocence for me. And, and it was this huge 
uh, marathon of me uh, engaging with two female entities that weren't exactly Bigfoot or Sasquatch, but sure didn't know how to play soccer like Princess Di. Uh, and, and I just remember it was, a, it, was a, it was a moment where there weren't police around everywhere and you could be on a blanket at 2 a.m. having the old fellatio ring dance with a turkey club between your butt cheeks and a banana in her own pie hole. So that summer was a lot of um, fornications with the right ravioli and the just a nice amount of mustard. Um, it was a it was a it was a good summer. It was a great summer. And again, there was no police at midnight. There's nobody watching places. It was not anything like we have now. And it began from nine eleven. So Tuesday nine eleven, you know, my friend Tommy's calling me saying, "Dude, they just saw a plane fly into one of the towers." My mom's calling me, and I'm at work in special ed, and we're under attack. Isn't it cool? This is crazy. We're under attack. And uh, I'm sitting teaching special ed for the fourth day, and I hate the job, and I hate the kids, which will become, you know, great students at some point, and even collaborators as musicians for my movies and, and actors and production assistants. So at the time, though, I wanted to get out, and we're listening right around the fire of the radio on 1010 Winds, and that's when we hear. I remember to this day, and there's nothing you could tell me, I heard the words from 1010 Winds that we had shot down a plane over Pennsylvania. Those are the exact words used. And eventually that story would be redacted and edited and become Flight 93, Stand Down, Shoot Down, and Let's Roll, like the Neil Young song. But I'll never forget what I really heard in that moment of understanding what media does, you know, more than ever, is that media will sanitize and will erase your personal memory of an event. And I keep sounding like Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, let's get right into this 9-11. So, you know, from this moment, everything changes, and we go to war based on falsified evidence. And, uh, you know, we have this military that we've always heard about, special forces. He's the best of the best. You know, all those things, John Jay, Rambo, Delta Force. Things that we saw in movies now are becoming a part of our mainstream consciousness of seeing military and talking to special forces that are going into Afghanistan and Iraq. And for some reason, within, you know, a day of the, the, the two towers falling, Rumsfeld says, great, now let's invade Iraq. And neither of these events are connected in any which way. And if you still don't understand that, then you haven't been around for 20 years and you haven't read a single book on these things or talked to any of the million people involved. There was no connection whatsoever between the Twin Towers and Iraq and Saddam Hussein. It was all a political land grab for money to benefit Halliburton and all these other entities that we heard about and we protested and the Stones wrote songs about for the next 10, 15 years. And today, never forget really should mean much more than just the towers fall. It should be never forget the repercussions and the facts that we learned about our government and our society and our civilization in this country, in the United States, that happened and were incurred upon us and changed us from 9-11 on. That's what never forget should mean. It shouldn't just mean, oh, I remember where I was that day. It's remember, what did we learn about this country since then, good and bad? And obviously we forgot because in March 2020... And way before that, in January of 2016, we led a bigoted rapist, the most treasonous politician in the history of this country to hold office of the President of the United States, become our leader-in-chief, commander-in-chief, and lead us straight down the devil's hole into the COVID-19 massacre of a quarantine that we all went through from March 2020 all the way through last summer to fall. And I'm talking about Donald Trump and uh, everything about 9-11 led us into having the Trump age. 
And I mean, and because of it's such a quagmire in Iraq and Afghanistan, we just recently saw over the last month these disgustingly sad and tragic mass exoduses from the Afghanistan airports, uh, you know, with military aid and the Taliban's overlooking it and the Taliban's letting some people leave and some people aren't and dogs are being left in the airport and everyone's screaming and yelling about Joe Biden. But guess what, motherfuckers? This shit all started with George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. They're the ones who put us into Iraq because of land grabs and for the benefit and the profit of their subsidiaries. And there's a great movie by Adam McKay called Vice. So check that out before you start screaming and yelling about what Biden's doing, what we should have done years ago about Afghanistan. Because these things were all created by the Republican regime of George W. Bush, who was nothing but a fucking idiot. And he's still a fucking idiot. And he shouldn't be praised because he didn't like Trump. He's still an asshole. And what he did to this country and the lives that we lost in the military and the central intelligence because of 9-11 and him allowing malfunctioning improper evidence to be processed and facilitated strikes in, in Guantanamo Bay and terrorist attacks uh, on 19-year-olds and, and whatever the fuck. I mean, it all goes back to Bush and this regime. And because of all this now, you know, Eric Prince, the golden child, I think his sister-in-law is Betty Davos. She's the fucking idiot that was trying to run schools during the Trump administration. You know, because of all this and coming out of Combine, you know, Blackwater starts getting, like, paid $101 million dollars. To freaking go overseas, $101 million, you know, you know, because of Bin Laden and this, the, we got the boogeyman out there, you know, the profiteering from military industries goes through the roof, and Blackwater suddenly is getting paid $35.7 million to help and be a part of the infrastructure to support the CIA and military uh, operations in, that are starting to happen parallel between Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, and it's like, there's guys like Buzzy Krongar. Buzzy Krongard is, uh, Krongard, Buzzy Krongard, he's an undercover CIA uh, agent under George Tenet that just happened to be uh, someone had uh, holdings in the Deutsche Bank that profited off of the 9-11 attacks, and somehow Buzzy Krongard, Buzzy Krongard gets involved with Blackwater, and this guy is another one of the many uh, villainous, evil, amoral sons of bitches that profit off of the death of uh, 3,000 people on the morning of Tuesday, 9-11. You know, Buzzy Krongard becomes a huge part of Blackwater. And, uh, you know, whenever it comes down to all these things, why we need Blackwater, why we need these services, Buzzy Krongard says, the war will be won in large measure by forces you do not know about and actions you will not see and in ways you may not want to know about, but we will prevail. And that kind of statement right there is basically just like, here you go. Here's your letter to do whatever you want. You could kill, you can murder, you could extort. Do whatever you want because winning this war on terror in Iraq, which has nothing to do with 9-11, the terrorist aboard there. And you could go into all the conspiracy theories, but I mean, the facts are everything's coming out of bin Laden and al-Qaeda and Afghanistan. And in the summer of 2001, the guy who's helping the CIA wanted to kill bin Laden. He's fighting for years and years. This guy's a rebel. His name's Ahmed Shah Massoud. He is the leader. He's the Che Guevara of the anti-Taliban activist uh, forces and this guy is is just a mastermind. He's an amazing leader, philosophical person, and uh, he's the one who's got us really close to killing Bin Laden in August 2001. Before motherfucker Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld said, "No, no, no, we want to let him kill 3,000 people on Tuesday 9/11." And that's really what I come from. That's my philosophy and perspective on it all from 20 years research on this matter alone. That I think that's exactly what happened. There was too much to be gained by the murder of 3,000 people. And it fucking destroyed our consciousness. It destroyed our ideas of patriotism. And if you look at 9-11 and you look about 2020 and 2021 now, where are we at now? 9-11 created the idea that patriotism is something when you go after Muslim fundamentalists. It's when you go after any Arabian. You go after the terrorists. 
And then you also had the other side that says, you know what, I think there's an inside job. I think there's things that were done that could have been done better, that our government failed us, that there's corruption. And you have that split, you have that schism occurs in our, in our country. And then 20 years later, everything that happens in between, Iraq, Afghanistan, social media is created, YouTube is created, our, our phones become our fucking best friends and our worst enemies. We ourselves become, every second of the day on social media, a version of what we saw that morning, that whole week, the replay, reenactment, fast forward, slow motion idea of an event, of a tragedy. Those planes crashing into those two towers on that morning are repeated and frozen and slow motion for the next couple years of our life. And that is exactly what suddenly becomes a part of the matrix we're living in right now. Social media, Instagram, we are watching our own events now be fast forward, frozen, in slow motion, whether it's TikTok, wherever. Our consciousness has been changed so much because of that day on 9-11. We took that idea that what the media was showing us of this event, this catastrophe, and we have bottled it up and we've now sold it to each other. And now... And some days, we are each other's 9-11. We're seeing horrible things from other people. Oh, here's my dad. He just died last week. Here's a car accident I filmed. And then maybe you have a good day that you see, oh, my son's going back to third grade and first day of fifth grade and blah, blah, blah. There's good times and bad times, but there's a lot of tragedy now that we're just passing off to each other. Every couple of seconds on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and Twitch and Glitch and Witch and whatever the fuck. And it's affecting our consciousness. It's affecting our adrenaline. It's Besides what the phone's doing you. It's affecting our adrenaline, our endorphins, and it's creating this great collective depression that no matter what else is happening in the world, we have a collective depression based on these devices and social media. And the idea that's in these devices and social media come from that moment of Tuesday 9-11 of an image can have so much power that it can become a part of a movie, it could be part of consciousness, that the idea of how that image affected everyone slowly became developed and engineered to be something that could become entertainment and social interaction. And uh, on top of that, you know, from there, we all know that the uh, infrastructure in Afghanistan, we have troops there for 20 years, and uh, by one point in 2002, we have spent $6 billion. We spent $6 billion on training Afghanistan police. That's 2002, so no one can say, oh, we failed, whatever, we didn't try, what did we do? We tried. But the Helmand province, which is where main opium comes out, all the opium comes out of the Helmand province, all the heroin that you get, that you're shooting up tonight, listening to fucking Lou Reed or fucking Billie Eilish while you're shooting your heroin, uh, it all comes from the Helmand province. And, you know, by 2002, you know, they're spending all this money in Afghanistan's police force, but they got crooked cops because some of the cops are Taliban and they're undercover. And the Taliban crooked cops, like something out of an 80s mood with, I'm the Taliban, you're rooks. I, I, are we going to jump? Are we going to We should jump. We should jump. Lead the weapon. It should be called Lethal Afghanistan or Lethal Kabul. You know, if, if I was going to do a cop buddy cop movie on Afghanistan for the last fucking 20 years, it would be a one guy is a freaking guy who wants to help the Americans and women and have an anti-Taliban thing. And the other guy is secretly a crooked cop that is working for the Taliban. And that's my plot. And if anybody fucking steals it, I'll kill you. That's it. I'll send Special forces and all the people I know from reading all this stuff and researching for 20 years, I'll send special forces to your house. You're not going to take that plot from me. So anyway, we send all this stuff, and we've got shit going on. And at the same time, who starts to profit? The way that people are trying to profit off of the death of millions from COVID-19 and, and this pandemic. You know, from 2003 to 2009, North Baghdad, we have a, a, a base known as Camp Taji. You know, and Camp Taji is located in the Iraqi Sunni Triangle. And he's got all these guards, like every base has. He's got all these guards. 
And every single day at Camp Taji, there's an open air pit where the base is disposing of trash starting at 9.30 a.m. every day. There is smoke and ash coming from the burning of war materials, of planes, of choppers, destroyed tanks. All the shit is being burned every single day starting at 9.30 in the morning at Camp Taji. What happens is the ashes starts to infect all the soldiers working there. And this is just one of many, many, many sites that are burning war materials every day and night. And what happens is that within a couple years, there's 150... There's actually more than that. There's more than 150 claims that are saying they got illnesses or cancer coming from the work next to the burn pit on their military base. There's 20 class action lawsuits finally come to fruition by 2016 against Kellogg Brown and, and uh, the engineers who construct and profit the burn pits that are in Iraq and Afghanistan. So forget the invasion. Forget all these things that happen there almost, you know, after we capture Saddam. I mean, it's just looking for the boogeyman for years and years with the, the plane deck of this guy's worth that much. I mean, there's these burn pits are being happening. Who's in charge of the burn pits? Who's making money? Why are we burning this trash on military bases? Guess who's in charge of the burn pits that have affected over 150, more than 150 today, with cancer and, 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 and all these horrible, horrible diseases? Guess who? KBR. KBR runs the burn pits. And KBR was a subsidiary of Halliburton. And who runs and had the huge shock of a stock in Halliburton? Motherfucking Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. And so KBR is burning on all these bases from the start of the war up to 2016 at least. They're burning batteries, asbestos, insulation, pesticides, styrofoams, lubricants, metals, paint solvents, plastic, water bottles, munitions, and corpses. Corpses. And by 2003, we've got 250 of these burn pits across Iraq and Afghanistan going 24-7 because guess what? Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld, they want their fucking money from KBR and Halliburton. And they're burning constantly 147 tons of poisonous, toxic waste a day that our soldiers are breathing in and getting viruses and diseases. And they're dying from them. And they're being denied claims in the hospital because no one will step up and say, you can prove that you got this cancer from working the bases next to these burn pits. These 250 burn pits. That are all operating. And it becomes finally known over the last couple years that the rates in cancers and birth defects from any military working on these burn pits is the highest in the entire Middle Eastern region. As of February 2015, there finally comes to be that there are 20,000 cancer patients in our U.S. military that all go back to working these bases on burn pit detail. And in this time, while these people today still are fighting the right to have claims and have hospitalization, Halliburton and KBR, i.e. Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld, got a $50 million contract. And Cheney, being the vice president of KBR and Halliburton, got $400,000 in deferred compensation with a $36 million severance package. This motherfucker made all this money while thousands of our goddamn, they're not goddamn, but they're soldiers, Thousands of us are men and women getting pregnant, trying to have families and lives are being infected and dying and being denied coverage by the U.S. government and you know, veterans hospitals. This fucking cunt got $400,000 and $36 million deference package. And it's only been recently that after getting $40 billion, not, not a million, not $50 million, that cocksucker made $40 billion in contracts over the 240 or so war burn pits. 
scattered across Iraq and Afghanistan that he set up because he was a part of the engineering. He was a part of the fallback of what we're going to do after 9-11. He needed to profit. So everything from 9-11 is profit. It's not justice. It's not America. It's not patriotism. All this bullshit that will sell T-shirts and tickets and make more movies. It is profit from these fucking evil cocksuckers that include George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, and Donald Rumsfeld. These are evil, evil, evil fucking son of a bitches. And I spit and I piss on them. I piss on their grave. And they should never be revered. They should never be remembered on CNN or ABC News. These are evil fucking cunts. Evil cunts of what they did to our country, our military, and the direction of our government. Because everything they do sets the stage for what the Trump administration get away with. Whether it's saying you shoot Clorox bleach into your fucking arms when people are dying of a virus that we've been discussing and, and dissecting for over 30 years, or whatever. And this is the evil, evil of what happens to our government and our society and our military after 9-11 and how it becomes valid. And, and, and going back to what is the course, what is this thesis, when you write a paper as a history major, which I am and was and a historian, where I was promoting lecture on the history of horror films, you have to write, what, is your, what are you trying to say? And so this podcast would be saying that the event of 9-11 was the first time in which a tragedy was publicly and internally exploited by corrupt government agents. And from that, it set a template and a precedent that it's okay that the government could get away with whatever it does and it could say whatever it was as long as part of it's doing the greater good. And it can make $50 billion off of burn pits that infect thousands of people with cancers and, 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 and women having children that have defects without any justice. And then they're going to fucking be revered. That fucking cunt Rumsfeld is going to be revered on ABC. That fucking piece of shit. He had his hands that were right in the pot. They were just as dirty. And that basically sets the president going forth for what happens with the Trump administration and with what has happened with COVID-19. Just this idea that government can say and do whatever it wants while people are dying and Trump can come out and mock and say it's okay that senior citizens die. And we all just had to sit there either in horror or tears or outrage while we ordered online and we supported DoorDash for the 50th time. And uh, now we're in a new age. We're in a new age right now. Finally, where Biden's trying to clean up the fucking mess. And he's not a saint. I'm not saying he's a saint. I'm not saying he's perfect. And I don't. Th- I think the idea of these old white guys as leaders is so outdated. Um, but, uh, you know, now we're in this new world. We're in this new world from that moment of 9-11. Changing us. Changing our consciousness. Changing our ideas of what truth and justice, America way is. And again, the boom of social media. And the power of social media comes out of that moment. And there was no social media at the time. And YouTube wasn't invented still for another two or three years. And Mark Zuckerberg, that little fucking cunt, you know, he wouldn't have his day starting until 2007 with Facebook. But, I mean, everything on how uh, imagery and iconic images and video can affect you all really come from that morning, 9-11, of what an image can be done. And that becomes a part of, I think, what we see today. It was that constant loop for that first week of 9-11, showing the plane, showing them attack, hitting them on different things. And you watched and you stared and you wanted to see it to understand to understand what this tragedy was. What did these 3,000 people feel like? People missing, people looking for their f- pictures on the wall. For months and months as the rubble and ruins of 9-11 infected thousands and thousands and thousands of people in a metaphor for what? Dick Cheney will allow it to happen with his burn pits. So everything in 9-11 and everything that's coming out of it, it's all connected, big and small. 
And, and all those things eventually bleed out into the rest of our consciousness. Here we are. Now here we are in 2021. And I think you could see a little bit of the curve from that moment, 9-11, to today. And how we've been changed and uh, how we're, we, we're never going to be the same. And uh, I think that's one thing I really think we should read into when you hear that never forget 9-11. is to never forget how damaged we are because of it and how it's just getting worse. And again, we have people like me who are the long haulers who survived COVID, and we have had to get into horrible, horrible arguments with people we love and care about because of this destruction of our media, destruction of trust, which has always been brewing way before the COVID pandemic. Uh, that, that trust and the paranoia about our government of what's the truth really comes back to 9-11, to what we would eventually find out about that morning, about a failure of our services, failure of our military, you know, what was there in the crystal ball table in, in, in summer of 2001 that Kofor Black was fighting, 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 fighting to have the Bush regime stop. And they didn't because I think, we, as you've just heard, that there was too much profit to be had from letting two planes crash and kill thousands. And it's a horrible, 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 horrible idea. But I'm not making this up. And uh, another book supporting this is uh, a book called Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. And that goes really more into the examining of the power of the government and the CIA in creating impacts on our consciousness. And then if you read the book Chaos, which uh, I'll come up with in a minute here, on Charles Manson. It's a book by... uh, What the fuck is this guy's name? Guys by Tom O'Neill and Dan Pippenbring called Chaos. Charles Manson, the CIA, The Secret History of the 60s. One of the best books I've ever read. Guys lost his career at Premier Magazine. He sacrificed everything to write a book for 20 years of his life. 20 years of his life. And that book is another book along with Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine that uh, will blow your mind about what is expendable to our government. What is expendable to... Uh, the name of equality and so-called justice and unity and keep them separated, keeping the sheep and the cattle in their pens. Pens. Those are books that you should read. Everyone should read. Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein and Chaos by Tom O'Neill. And the last book, which I think sums up a lot of things that have been happening, uh, you know, since uh, the age of 9-11, the, the Clinton-Bush dynasties. And who is connected to the Clinton dynasties and, and the Bush dynasties? And Donald Trump is Jeffrey Epstein, who is this friggin' uh, Miami Beach millionaire that has this mansion there. And he has an island called Little St. Thomas in the, the Canary Islands that, uh, you know, for uh, close to 20 years is a pedophile ring. And he lures in broken girls and broken homes. And he gets them high, and he has sex with them. And he starts them off as a massage therapist, and then he reveals his egg-shaped cock, as Julie K. Brown reads about, writes about in *The Perversion of Justice*. Guy had a little fucking pecker because he was a little pecker. So you know, we have this book that wraps it up. *Perversion of Justice* is about the downfall of this guy Jeffrey Epstein, which is, uh, you know, a metaphor for what we wanted to happen for the last twenty years to the people who let 9/11 happen or profited off 9/11. Or, or what we want to do to Trump, who this book actually gives some pretty substantial evidence to, to, to state that Donald Trump is a rapist and was a rapist. 
and he did rape two girls with the help of Jeffrey Epstein. And these are not just hearsay. These are officially entered into um, uh, court statements and uh, are under review by the FBI and the federal government that finally put Epstein in jail in uh, 2019 right before his murder, which is what perversion of justice talks about. This woman, Julie K. Brown, is another saint, another feminist warrior who spent 20 years of her life following the Jeffrey Epstein case. And uh, the juxtaposition of facts, again, which starts in 9-11. Oh, did you see the towers went down? Some, I saw something else besides. If you watch the video, there's something else in that video. I think there's an explosion. I think there was explosions in the bases of the towers. You know, that juxtaposition of what was real, what is not real. Um, uh, it's all part of the, the Epstein case, too, and, and that effect on the 2016-2015 uh, uh, election for Trump and Clinton and this ridiculous, ludicrous bullshit that QAnon uh, facilitated all the summer 2020 about pedophiles and the pedophile and the, the Clintons are on pedophile island. It's all bullshit because of your reperversion of justice in which Julie K. Brown spent 20 years of her life at the risk of her own life while other people were dying or mysteriously vanishing that threatened Jeffrey Epstein. You read this book and the, really the evidence on who's on pedophile island are the Trumps and... Big investors and lots of people connected to Trump and Justice Barr and Alan Dershowitz. Evidence is there. There's nothing to do with the Clintons, people, or Tom Hanks, or shooting adrenochrome, or eating kids' organs in a basement in a pizzeria in D.C. Uh, evidence is there. And Julie K. Brown has risked her life to do this. She's an amazing author. It really flies by this book, and uh, this is a woman that's lived it. And at the time of his death or murder, uh, she was number one on uh, Epstein's hit list. She he, Epstein feared her. He hated her, and he feared her because she had spent her years of her life to destroy him. And it's because of her corroboration with the FBI and the police that finally brought down Jeffrey Epstein, put him in uh, New York City prison before his murder. So that's about it. Love me or hate me. That's 9-11 to COVID-19. That was my thoughts. I had originally recorded this last night drunk and made it a little more funny. So I'm sorry this wasn't funny, but I felt like in this time, after working this weekend with some kids that were just fucking pieces of shit, the worst work generation in the history of this country, that walk off jobs, that, that complain that steel breaks, that just leave without even telling you they have a family emergency when we have an age of texting and, and email and phones. I mean, to see how the kids are today, these 20-year-olds are fucking worthless. They're just stupid, spineless, lazy, oversensitive people that take any little sentence as a way to get away with a class action suit or that sexual harassment because you laughed at them. And just seeing the devolution of our species and our country and our work ethic really made me want to say, you know what, I should fucking really put some shit down on record. Uh, the facts to support my ideas of how did we get here, mentally, socially, politically. How did 9-11 influence and bring us to the age of COVID-19, 2021? A lot of numbers there. 1, 2, 9-11, 2021. 9-11, 2020. Count with me, Big Bird. I don't know, Count. That's kind of uh, disrespectful. Hey, snuff a love kiss. 9-11 to 2021. Okay, come. So, those interested in the sources, the validated sources that you could find in bookstores across the world, that 
which supported this podcast and are actually validated and not parts of links, magazines, fanzines, or YouTube videos. Come from Kathleen Ballou's Bring the War Home, Eye in the Sky by Arthur Holland Michelle, Messing with the Enemy by Clint Watts, Shadow Network and Unholy by Ann Nelson and Sarah Posner, Blackwater by Jeremy Scahill, Black Ops by Tony Garagdi, and of course, Perversion of Justice, the Jeffrey Epstein story by Julie K. Brown and Chaos by Tom O'Neill. All available at your bookstores and where Audible sold. Check them all out. And of course, Steve Cole's Ghost Wars, along with uh, The Death of Donald Pearl. Uh, those are two books. But Ghost Wars by Steve Cole will blow your mind. So thank you very much. Have a good day and enjoy the rest of September. Never forget, Marty. Never forget. I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to forget, Doc. 9-11 and COVID-19, the facts, you idiot. The facts. Pew, pew, pew. The facts.